Thanks, Tyler. Uh, yes, Tyler, I, for one, I'm not super sad that there's like a ladies-only event. I feel like church history is just like a, a century-long dude event, so like, so like, one weekend, like, a, well, every once in a while, like, you can have a ladies' event. Like, this is great. Like, for you, you want to go and do all of those things. You need the bath bombs and all of it. I love it. Um, yes, like Tyler said, I, uh, I, my name's Garrett. I've been um, here in Whatcom County for uh, eight years now. I'm originally um, from the Denver, Colorado area. Um, my family and I live in Bellingham. I think I have a picture of my family. Um, that's all of them right there. That's my wife, Aubrey, my daughter, Selah, my other daughter, Noah, and Jonah and Malachi, who is like peeking up over there. We have four kids. That's too many kids. Um, <laughs> that puts us in the 94th percentile of like of humans that we've created in the United States of America. Yeah, I know, it's pretty good. I'm like, I like to achieve things. I don't want to like brag, but that's a lot. Um, but what's strange is, is that like, it, the number is four plus. So like that top 6% is like everyone in my family and the Duggars, like we're essentially the same. <laughs> and it feels great. That's just awesome number of humans. Um, I uh, left full-time vocational ministry um, almost a year ago. And now I'm a, uh, a writer for the most part. I work for a company called Stuff You Can Use. I essentially write high school and middle school youth group curriculum for churches all over the United States and all over the world. I, like, we publish to 5,000 churches that use our curriculum, and I oversee a couple of hundred writers, and it's fantastic. It's a wild job. I get to work from home. I get to talk with people about all the things that are happening in the in the church from a variety, a wild variety of different churches, progressive, conservative, everywhere in between, and it is a wild ride to do all of that. It's a lot of fun. Um, here's one thing that I know for sure, as I've talked with churches all other, all over, whether um, whatever ideological stream they come from, um, no matter uh, uh, if they're a mainline church, um, like an independent church, a non-denominational church, whatever, whatever it is. Everyone I talk to feels like something's pushing on them. Everyone does. From every perspective, from every angle, no matter where people are in their story, their history, their ideology, everyone feels like something's pushing on them. And that thing that they call that's pushing on them is simply this broad term called culture. Just culture. Culture is pushing on us no matter what. Um, the, the analogy that I think uh, helps me understand what I, what I hear and I see frequently is imagine you're standing in a river. I think I got a picture of it. Imagine you're standing in like the Nooksack River. And you just constantly feel like there is a current pushing against you. And the only thing that you can do is lean in. It takes everything inside of you just to keep pushing, and that doesn't even let you make any progress forward. You just get to stay stationary. Right? So everyone, every community of people I talk to senses this pushing from a multitude of different other, like, streams of thought. They all just feel constantly pushed on. Um, from my understanding, I hope, because this is what I'm preaching on for the most of the rest of the time, we've been in the book of Daniel. <laughs> is that right? 
Great. We are on the same page. Tyler did not hang me out to dry. Okay, so the book of Daniel is essentially a story of a group of people who follow God and are constantly feeling pushed on. They are sitting in the massive uh, empire of Babylon, and they have all of these cultural currents constantly pushing on them. And what we have in the story of Daniel, until it gets real wild, like downtown Bellingham, psychedelics on Halloween wild, which is the latter part of Daniel, it's like stories of people getting pushed on from the culture around them. Constantly. People standing in the river pushing against it, no matter how hard they try. And here's the thing. I think all of us understand this. All of us know what this is like, whether you call yourself a Christian in this room or not. All of us feel some version of pushing on. Think about it. This afternoon, we are going to all partake or feel pressure to partake in one of the largest cultural events, whether you like football or not. There's just like a, 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 like a, a thing that is like pushing on you. And then you're going to watch that. And depending on your I, like ideological perspective, you're going to be like, oh, this ideology or this ism or this thing is going to be pushing on me through the advertisements or, or through the athletes or whoever it is. We're going to be constantly bombarded by this pushing. And we just feel oftentimes, no matter what, once again, where your ideology comes from, what your political leanings are, you just constantly feel like you're going like this. No matter what. And I think that the thing that encapsulates up the, the book of Daniel up until this point is this a simple phrase that I think can kind of like hone it all in. Is this being a Christian simply means being different. Embrace it. Being a Christian means being different. Just embrace it. There are billions of dollars, billions with a B, put into our pockets every single moment trying to form our, ide our identities, our actions, our behaviors, and our desires. Billions of dollars with a B. Friends, there is no way that billion dollars with a B is going to be able, that, that, that is always going to win versus showing up to church one day a week it will always win. Because you know how many times we pick this up a day? 300 on average. 300 times a day we pick this sun up. Which, I mean, it's kind of gross because my hands are on all sorts of things for kids. Like, think about, like, like thousands of times a week. This will always form us unless we push against it. All of us can experience this. Follower of Jesus or not in this space, you understand what it's like to be formed and pushed on no matter what your perspective. And so today, what I wanted to look at is a story in Daniel 6. It's kind of a repeat of another story that we saw a little bit earlier, but from a different, a little bit of a different angle, and talk about what it actually looks like to push against it. And here's the deal. 
you're gonna, we're gonna get to the point where it says, what does it look like to push against the current that is happening? And you are literally gonna roll your eyes. I'm just letting you know right now, you're gonna wanna roll your eyes. Because it's so simple, and it's so easy, and it's gonna have been something that you've been told so many times that you're gonna be like, really, that's it? And my answer is yes, really, that's it. I'm just setting you up so you're not upset with me later. All right, Daniel 6, 1 through 3. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom it was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. To get you caught up in speed, if you're just joining us in the book of Daniel, Daniel is now serving his third Babylonian king. While this empire has existed for a long time, it is massively unstable. Leadership is constantly changing. Under this new king, this new king understands and actually likes Daniel and understands that he can't hold it all together on his own. So he starts appointing essentially administrators to take care of all the stuff that's happening under them. And over all of those administrators, he's putting Daniel. He's going to oversee the day-to-day operations of the entire Babylonian empire. But do you notice something and what's made Daniel stand apart? Exceptional qualities. Exceptional qualities. What does that mean? Exceptional qualities. I think it has two meanings. One, I think that there's a version of that Daniel's just good at his job. I don't think we need to over-spiritualize. Some people are good at their jobs and better than other people, and Daniel was better at his job than other people. That's what got him up there. Like, he actually could execute the functions of his job at a higher level than most of the other people that he was around. But in addition to that, there was something intangible to that. His character. There is something, we're going to, and that's backed up in the rest of the passage. We're going to actually take a look at it. But that word character seems a little squishy. What is it? The way that I can think about character is essentially what is that thing inside you that then moves out from inside into the outside actions? That's your character. Your core passions, your desires, your hurts, your pains, your gift, and then allowing those space to help shape and form you and those around you. You know yourself well. You know your own character. Are you consistent with the person inside and outside? Not only just why you're by yourself— or in front of other people, but also in your family and the people closest to you. You being the same person when you're by yourself with the people closest to you and how you act out in public. This is your character. This is your character. Character is that thing that when you say yes to, you follow through on it. It's a thing that you believe strongly enough that you let it motivate you when no one is looking. That's your character. Let me try to summarize it as 
concisely as I possibly can. Our character is the sum of our desires, actions, thoughts, and instinctual responses. Our desires, actions, thoughts, and instinctual responses. Our character is not just our activities. It's actually the things that we desire. And those things can shift and change. I tried finding one of these yesterday, but I couldn't, and I'm really disappointed by it. Um, does anyone eat, like, in our house, this is sometimes is a little bit blasphemous. Does anyone eat, like, like tube cookie dough? Does anyone eat that? Yeah? Yes, yeah, yeah, why? Because why would you make it when you just got a tube of it? Like, I feel like that's, like, there's one part of American culture that I'm super into. It's tube food. Like, this is great for everybody. Um, I was hoping, because they were right around Valentine's Day, like, oftentimes the tube cookie, but cookie dough, well, like, they put out new ones, particularly like Christmas. I was hoping that they would have, like, special Valentine's one where there's, like, a shape inside. I have no idea how they make this shape. It probably in great, wonderful ways. But, like, typically it's, like, a shape inside. They're, like, on Valentine's Day, I pictured it, like, being a heart inside of the tube of, of, of the thing, right? And Christmas, it's, like, a, it's, a, it's a tree or whatever. Like, this is how I'm thinking about it. No matter where you slice that tube, it's the same thing on the inside. No matter how you do it, no matter how you cook it, you might be able to beat that sun up a little bit, but no matter what, in the center of that thing, the moment it gets opened up, it's the same. No matter you put it under some fire, it's the same. It is the shaping of the core qualities, actions, desires, and instinctual responses, the desires of who we are. That is our character. Now, this is the interesting thing about Daniel's character. That it's not only just that he's good at his job. Lots of people are good at his job. But the thing that sets him apart from his work is not only is he good, but he is also the same in all the spaces that he operates. Friends, here's what I want us to see. If Daniel is a model for us, God's people are known by their personal character and their quality of their work. God's people, if Daniel is a model for us, are known by their character and their quality of their work. We're going to see this backed up. Because ultimately what's going to happen is actually Daniel's character um, actually becomes a liability in a really interesting way. This is Daniel 6, 4, and 5. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in the conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was true, trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God. For Daniel, the shaping and formation of his desires, actions, thoughts, and instinctual responses was so integrated throughout his life, the only thing these government officials could do would be to turn his own integrity back in on him. That's how much he believed you should be the same in all the spaces in your life. They could dig all they could possibly want, and they were not going to find anything. Now, not all of us are like that. <laughs> not all of us are like that. There are many of us in this room, including me, that if you dug into our pasts, you will not be like Daniel. And that is all right. But in the Christian story, that when we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus, our character gets a fresh 
start. And who we are in our past does not determine who we are in our future. That we have an opportunity now to have a different formation of character that was not determined based on our past. This is the good news of Jesus that we were singing about. There is no shame and there is forgiveness that we can now be formed in a new way. So as they are now trying to look at Daniel, look into his past, they turn his integrity against him, and look at what they say that they do finally in Daniel 6, 6-9. So these administrators and these satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, and satraps, advisors, and all agreed that the king issued an edict and enforced the decree. Anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into a lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So Darius put the decree in writing. This is the push. They set a trap for Daniel. They created an entire world where no matter what, Daniel could go against his integrity and then he would like lose the thing that set him up as like the reason why he was being set up to, to rule the whole thing, to govern everything. And then they could bring that charge against him. Oh, no, no, he's not who he says he is. Look, he's still, he says he has one God, but he just prays, oh, no, now he can't do this. Or he could continue being a person of character and lose it for a different reason. This is frequently what it feels like to be pushing against the current, does it not? In the narratives and ideologies that we frequently find ourselves in, we feel constantly caught. Because we could make this choice and it means this thing. We could mean this choice and it means another thing. Both of them are bad choices. The way that Daniel is going to show us is the way through is in the next verse. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened toward Jerusalem. Days, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. If you want to know constant counterformation begins with a B is daily repetition of the encounter of God. That's it. Like, that is not, like, wildly interesting. You could have Googled that junk before you came here. But that actually shows you just how freaking hard it is. We all know up here that the answer is a daily encounter with the living God, yet we are constantly being formed in a way that lets us do anything but that. You want to know why? How many people like sports movies? We're about to do the Super Bowl. Yeah? I like sports movies. Anyone? No? Yes? Okay. Sports movies. Okay. So, think about any sports movie, right? There's the underdog. The underdog goes against the big bad, the mighty ducks, Cobra Kai, I don't know, name name them, whoever your bad guy is in the movie. Like, Apostle, Apostle Creed, I don't know, the Russian dude, I don't know, like, name, name it. And then what happens? The underdog 
goes and gets the crud kicked out of them. Right? This is how it starts. Like, Coach Bombay takes the Mighty Ducks, and the Hawks just, like, wipe all over them. Like, like every, like all of them. They just get, like, absolutely destroyed. And then what happens? They, like, have a moment. And they're like, we're going to do this as a team. And then what happens is you have a four-minute montage of them working really hard. You know why the montage exists? Because movies are not interesting if you have to watch how much work they put in to get good at the thing that they do. They have to tell you that there was an amount of work that got them from being crappy to being good in a way that hopefully makes sense in a two-minute pop song. <laughs> this is how we believe that all of a sudden Rocky can beat Ivan Drago. This is how we can believe that the Mighty Ducks finally beat the Hawks. Because you got a two-minute montage. Y'all, that two-minute montage is day in, day out practice. That's not sexy. That's not interesting. That is hard work. It is every day sitting down and practicing. You know who understands the, the power of repetition in shaping our hearts, formations, desires, and actions? 1,500 times a week understands that. Billions with a B giving you little biochemical hits into your brain to reinforce the actions, desires, and habits that you have. This is not new information. Daniel showed it to us in the 5th century BCE three times a day encountering the presence of God. Y'all, the Christian life cannot be lived in the montage. It is in the everyday activity of the encounter of God's presence. This is what I mean by it's not an interesting idea. This is a known idea. We actually, in the church in America, we do not have a problem pushing against culture because we have wrong ideas. We have wrong practices. We have wrong habits. This is the true issue with how we're being formed in America. We are more formed by this billion dollars with a B than by the presence of the encounter of the living God. There's no way around it. Godly character is formed in an intimate friendship with God. Period. That's it. You want to know how to push against the waves? currents of the culture, no matter what your ideological, political spectrum might be, daily encounters, regular encounters, habitual encounters with the presence of God who will begin to shape and form you, your desires, practices, habits, and responses. This is not a new idea. This is not a novel idea. It is not even an exclusive idea to Christianity. This is how God formed and made us. And this is the way that we are counterformed. This is it. What is incredible in the Christian story is that we actually have the pattern. That thing in the 
center of the cookie dough is Jesus. That is the pattern. We have it laid out for us. Read it in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That is the pattern. You don't even have to make this junk up. Do what Jesus did in your own life. What would Jesus do in your shoes if he were you? This is the pattern. Probably rest. Probably pray. Probably talk to his friends. Probably, like, talk about the key. Like, this is not new or interesting information, y'all. It's a matter of faithfulness to the information that we have. And this is why I'm honing on this. Because at some point, the big game's going to come. At some point, the practice that you put in, in the montage, actually has to be put to the test. Because that's what happens to Daniel. Could happen. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel, praying and asking God for help. So they went to the spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the third he prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty? Like, like the, the sweetness of your majesty dropping up there. Would you would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said, King Daniel, who is the one of the exiles from Judah, paid no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decrees you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. What is the use of being the king if you can't change your mind? That's his problem, I guess. So the king gave him the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Friends, here's what I want us to see, is that sometimes when we pursue the things of a regular encounter with the living God, that doesn't make things easier, it makes things harder. That just because you put in the practice of the montage doesn't mean that necessarily you're going to beat the Hawks. Doesn't mean that your team's going to win. Doesn't mean that Ivan Drago's going to finally fall. It just simply meant that you got formed in the shape and the pattern of Jesus. You encountered the living presence of God, and that's the only outcome that we are promised as followers of Jesus. is simply presence. If anything, what we get over and over again in the story of God is that when you do this, you lose more until the very end when God wins all of it. This is the pattern. The pattern is, is that we become like Jesus who went to the cross, died, and then was resurrected from the grave. This is the hopeful pattern that we are offered. Work really hard, do the montage, it's going to get harder, and then you'll die. Hopeful, right? But this isn't about us. This is about God restoring all things back to himself. And we get to be the first place that that happens in our world. That the place that you want God to change the entire world, the thing that you desire the most to see happen, whatever justice issue it could be, whatever ideology it could be, you know what the breaking in point of that is? You. You are it. 
Not out there, not somewhere over there, you. You are the place of transformation for everything you long to see happen in the world is you. And the way that that happens is regular, transformative encounters with the living God. Everything that you hope for and hope to see in the world formed in Jesus happens in you first as evidence to the world. That's it. And oftentimes, that just makes it harder. I remember when I started really thinking about, like, okay, it's, it's not this the idea. It's the actual pattern of doing it more frequently. And I was like, okay, just like a good American, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change my mind, and this is going to get easy. I just got to pull myself up by the old bootstraps, think about it harder, and it's going to be great. It was not great. I remember because I, uh, I, once again, four kids, it's a lot. I remember trying to, like, learn to pray. <laughs> the only time I had to pray was 5 a.m. <laughs> because kids are waking up. Love you, sweetie, but, like, y'all are a lot of energy as soon as you walk in. And so I wake up, 5 a.m. You know what I did most of the time when that alarm went off? Snooze. Like, like no intention at all. Like, just like, nope, Lord, I know I had this change of mind, but snooze. That is way easier. But I would probably have like a 30%, like 30% like conversion rate. Like, I know if like, if you were a, a, a batter in, in, in like in Major League Baseball, like that gets you in the Hall of Fame, that is not formed very good character. So then I gave up. This is the part, part, part of the issue, right? We know that we need to do it. We try. We try super hard. We think that we should just be good at it instantaneously. When we aren't, then we give up. Then what happens? Oh, like, I, like a couple weeks later, I got convicted by a message that Tyler gave, and like, I got to do that again. But then I have to do something else. Like, oh, I already, like, feel shame or guilt. Like, I tried it once. And then you have the, like, voices in your head. Like, oh, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. You've already not done it. Like, that snooze button is great. However, that little bit of work already has done something in you. It becomes a little bit easier. In those... And that 30%, your desires began to shift, and that 30% became a little bit slightly easier. And that 30%, you began to hear God's voice just a little bit more. And then that hitting of that snooze button just became a little bit easier to overcome. Over time, you're going to stop doing it. You're going to continue doing it. You're going to stop doing it. But over time, the shifting of character, habits, and desires begins to happen moment by moment. I think oftentimes we think and we look at the heroes of our faith and we think, oh, it should just instantly happen. We look at a story like Paul's and Paul like has an encounter with God and then like all of a sudden changes his mind and then goes all in, full send, ready to do everything that God is wanting them to do. But you know what happened to Paul? We don't get this. It says Paul got, like, thrown out of the church because he was, like, messing things up. No one trusted him. Obviously, they just, he was literally just trying to kill them all. And then it says that he left. He went back to his hometown. And then it's, like, three verses. And then Paul shows up again. You know how long that three verses was? Seven to 14 years. I think a lot of us think that we want to have a version of Paul's experience, but we don't actually understand Paul's experience, and most of us don't have that. We have Peter's experience. 
Here's what I mean by that. We frequently have a confession of Jesus as Lord, and then two minutes later are saying, no, I don't know him. Only then to say, no, Jesus is Lord, I saw him in the resurrection, and then live differently and have Paul confront you. Most of us have a version like Peter's experience, where it's a constant move towards and away, towards and away, and thanks be to God for God's grace, because that is exactly how he knows that we change over time. That we have been so formed with billions with a B over time that we have needed to learn that also that the counterformation will also take time. And when that occurs, over time, the big game happens, you get thrown in the lion's den, you have the habit that has been formed in times that were easier to simply go to God's presence and you didn't have to think about it. This is what Jesus says. Never let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Parents will know what I'm talking about. This is the mom and dad arm. What happens? You see a car stop, you do this. As if this instinct, this is your instinct, right? You stop. Your left hand doesn't even think about it. It just moves out like this, as if your arm is going to stop a 35-pound-year-old, like 35-pound child going from zero to 35. Like, but it is the habit, right? It's, your left hand did not know what your right hand was doing. It simply moved. When all of a sudden, the hard moments of being thrown in the lines and happens, your left hand does not know what your right hand is doing, but you simply go and encounter the presence of God because that is just simply how you are. This is evidence of godly character. Now, some of you who've grown up in traditions, I grew up Catholic, and I, this, so like, this kind of thing resonates with me. I'm like, yes, just do more, earn things. This is great. <laughs> However, this is not what this is about. This is not God's affection towards you does not change whether or not your godly character has been formed completely. God's affection and love for you is total. There is no f amount of character that you could muster of your own ability to make God love you more or make God love you less. God's grace, according to one of my favorite philosophers, is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. This is about God's, God's Holy Spirit empowering you to the effort of becoming more like Christ. Because this is, look what happens. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without the entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried, boy, hurried to the lion's den. When he, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And it hangs there for a second. It's like a moment where I hear my son calling in the middle of the night from the other room, saying, Dad, I'm scared. And I wake up, and we go, I'm with him. I'm there. I say, Jonah, I'm here with you. He goes, Dad, I'm still scared. Why won't the scary go away? I'm like, 
I'm here. I'm, I don't know why it's not going away, but I'm here with you right now. Let's pray. We pray. He goes, Dad, it didn't go away. The scary is still here. I'm like, I don't know, son. I don't know why it doesn't go away, but I am here with you in this moment. This is the thing that I imagine is happening in the, in the day. Now, I say that, and it makes it sound like I'm great, but I'm groggy as I'll get out. Like, <laughs> my character formation is as intense in that moment, right? I'm angry. I'm like, oh my gosh, just pray, Holy Spirit, Lord, just make it go away. I need to sleep. <laughs> but this is it. It doesn't go away. I, I don't know what it's like in that den. Like the whole thing. It's interesting that the way that the story tells it, it doesn't let us know what it's like in the den because it's supposed to allow our imaginations to put ourselves there. Notice the whole story from this point is told from King Darius's point of view. It's not told from Daniel's point of view. Because we're supposed to put ourselves in the imaginatory place of Daniel because the lions that I face are different than the lions that you face. The formation that I have is different than the formation that you've had. The way that God shuts the mouths of the lions for you is going to be different than the way that God shuts the, lion, the mouths of the lions for me. When the scripture is silent, it's an invitation for imagination. The darkest places or where the light of God's presence shines the brightest. That's what we see in this imaginative moment in the midst of all of it. And listen to how Daniel responds in 6, 21 through 23. May the king work. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. If you guys ever read a biblical definition of an angel, that doesn't seem less scary. Like, those things are weird. Like, eyes with wings rolling around. Like, that doesn't sound like any better. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. We are there with him. Some of us right now, you feel like, yes, I am in that den right now, and my character does not seem up to the task. I don't know about you, if I was ever confronted with a lion, there is no amount of work that doesn't make that thing sound scary. If you're in the midst of the darkest moments and you sense that the lion is there with you, you have the exact amount of character you need to understand that God's presence is with you. It's been there. It's been formed in you to the degree that you have. You have access to the power of the Spirit to sustain you in the darkest places because that is where God's light shines the brightest. However, notice what he says. He says, not only was God there, God's presence was there, but he sustained me and I am still alive. It was a testament to the goodness of the God that had created him, formed him, sustained him. Y'all, when we form the when we allow God's spirit to form character in us, in intimate encounters with God's presence, not only does it sustain us, it actually proclaims about the God we actually say that we serve. Character that relies on God's presence in the most difficult circumstances is something both sustains us and proclaims the God that we say we serve. So friends, like I said, this isn't novel information. But the problem with the church in America is not better information, it's better practice. 
So here's what I want to do. I want you all pull out a phone or a journal or whatever. Like I just said, don't pick this up. But like, you can pick this up. That's fine. Um, pick up your phone, journal, or whatever. I want you to write three things. I want you to write the word stop. I was going to have, like, I, I debated on whether or not to put this in here, but then it would invite you to just, like, receive it from a screen or, like, in a program or whatever. And I want you to actually do something different. I want you to write the word stop, leave some space. I want you to write the word start and leave some space. And I want you to write the word continue and leave some space. So let that sit for a sec. I think every single one of us wants some version of a consistent character where the same person operates when we're by ourselves, with the people closest to us, and when we're out in public. Why? Because anything else is freaking exhausting. It is exhausting to constantly shapeshift, to change from one space to the other. How incredible would it be to be invited to be the same person in all the spaces that you exist? To have the same desires when you're out in public, at church here, when we can like, mmm, mmm, praise him. When it's in the dark, mmm, mmm, praise him. Wouldn't that be great? Or maybe the opposite is true. Maybe in the dark, it's easier to be honest with your doubts. Wouldn't it be great to be in a place like this and say, I got doubts. Instead of hiding our history and past, knowing full well that we have one in the dark, be able to be in a place like this saying, I got a history and a past, and it haunts me in the dark. This is consistent character. And, and here's the thing. In the same way that the way God is not going to show up for us in the same way that he showed up for Daniel. The way God shuts the mouths of the lions for you is different than me. There is not a one-size-fits-all formational pattern for the church. It is as unique as God has made you. There's not a 15-step plan that you can buy to make you more like Jesus. There is a one-step plan of asking God's Spirit, Lord, how am I more like Jesus? it. So, as a way to begin to simply change and shift, I'm going to invite the team to come back up. I said stop, start, continue. I want you to think during these next worship songs, maybe you're just praying and meditating it on, in your head. One thing, that you sense that you want to stop. Could be simple. Could just be, I'm going to put my phone down at 7 o'clock and not bring it into bed with me. I'm just going to stop that. I'm just going to stop bringing my phone into bed with me after 7. I'm going to start one thing, just one. It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to start a 40-day devotional plan that I'm not going to, like, no, 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 no. Every time I sense I am hungry, 
I'm just going to say a simple prayer, God, I hunger for you, and then I'm going to go get some Doritos because this game is great, and I cannot wait to watch the Philadelphia Eagles play the Kansas City Chiefs. It doesn't have to be intense. And then one thing that you're going to continue, one thing you're already doing well, that you want to continue on. You could do that. You could write those things down today, later today, tomorrow. But I encourage you, make some sort of commitment before we leave today. Because here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine the universe where you make little commitments like that over time. Small commitments over time, compounding through the rest of your life. Think about how your marriage could be different. Your family could be different. Your work could be different. Your encounter with God's presence could be different. It's not all going to get fixed instantaneously. It is made over small moments that at some point you're going to get to heaven and God's going to put up an incredible montage. Mine's going to be You're the Best Around from Karate Kid 1. He's going to put the whole thing there. You'd be like, that's where you hit snooze. That's where it was good. And that's where you hit snooze like seven more times. And this and that's okay. Like, we're going to do this again. Little moments. Stop, start, continues. Little things over time. God's character is formed in you that will change the trajectory of not just your life, but the lives of the ones that you intersect with. Not just who you are in private, but in the closest intimate spaces and how you are in public. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have not given us new information, but you are simply showing us a new way to live. God, that you actually even took out a lot of the uh, guesswork for us and actually go gave us a pattern. I think of how Jesus simply said, um, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I will put my yoke on you. For it is easy in life. This yoke is the pattern of your life, Jesus. May your pattern of life simply become my pattern of life. When you rest, I rest. When you pray, I pray. When you have doubts in the moments of deepest despair, God, I am okay to have doubts in the deepest moments of despair. God, would your pattern become my pattern so that I might be made more like you. So that when the moment that the lions are in front of us, there is a habitual experience of your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.